You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Mama told me, son, go and play in the yard. Papa said, go and play, you gotta break your stomach, go and scream real hard. Go play in the yard. Go play in the yard. You gotta burn your stomach. And welcome to it. Inside the Yard, Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold, a couple of Orioles broadcasters chatting about the Baltimore Orioles, and they have just wrapped up their draft and signing period, so we have a draft-centric show, Jeff. We're going to talk to Jonathan Mayo from MLBPipeline.com, give us his assessment of the draft, how the Orioles did, and their uh, overall system, and then we'll do the same thing with Steve Molesky from MassInSports.com, our colleagues. So, You know, I think we had a chance to chat with Colton Kowser and Connor Norby the other day, and I can't even tell you how many times uh, in in the sports I've covered, I've met first round picks and high draft picks. And I've for years tried to say if there's a, can you learn a whole lot in in that introductory meeting? The truth is uh, you can't, but I was really impressed uh, with Colton Kowser, just his presence. And he was a pretty articulate young man. Yeah, I was certainly pleased with Colton Kowser when I got an opportunity to talk to him on the, our Orioles radio network broadcast. And, you know, you have to have a certain amount of swag and confidence if you're going to be a first round pick, especially if you're going to be a number five overall pick. And Colton Kowser seemed to possess that. And we talked to Steve Molesky later on in this podcast. And one of the things that he brings up about Kowser, and Michael Elias has talked about this too, is his ability to, you know, hit for average, to hit for some power, but also not strike out. And in this day and age, and I think especially as you look at maybe the trade deadline, for instance, where Adam Frazier just got sent to the Padres, the ability to make contact and to get on base, and we've seen this this year with Cedric Mullins too, really something that is valued. And so I think his ability to, to do that, to be able to drive the ball, but also not strike out is going to be really big. And then he can move around a bunch of different outfield spots. So maybe not the pick that we were all uh, expecting, um, but it still seems like a, a good first uh, first round pick. Yeah, and both Norby and Kowser stole a lot of bases. They both really can hit. I mean, I don't care what league or level you're at. If you hit 415 like Connor Norby, uh, you're doing something right. And uh, these are two young men that I think could get in the system, Jeff, and move because they have that college pedigree and experience. And uh, they, they were just two guys who were expected to go in those first uh, rounds and in first two rounds. And, and that's exactly where they went. So I think those are two exciting young ads and the Orioles obviously went very college heavy in this draft and uh, particularly position players heavy uh, for the first part of the draft. So we'll see how it all shakes out. We'll know in a few years, I guess. And I, I actually asked this to Michael Elias before, and he says it's years. I mean, you, you actually don't fully assess it for five, six, seven, eight years down the road when you don't even assess how you did as a draft. You assess all the parts around it and all the other clubs and what decisions were made, what went right, what went wrong. And it's just a different kind of draft compared to the other leagues. But it also makes it a great challenge, and it's a huge part of the Orioles' future moving forward. So we'll catch up right now with Jonathan Mayo. We'll get his take on the Orioles draft, and then Steve Molesky on the draft for the Orioles and where the system is right now and some exciting under-the-radar prospects coming up through the pipeline. Brett, the Junior Orioles Doug Club, it's now Kids Cheer Free Plus, presented by Baltimore area Chick-fil-A restaurants. It is the all-new Orioles Kids Club for fans 14 and under for just $30. Each club membership includes a limited edition cap, face mask, lanyard, and membership card. 
Plus, all members receive a ticket voucher for four free tickets to a select classic or value game. Purchase your membership now at Orioles.com slash Kids Free Plus. MLB Pipeline and MLB Network draft guru and prospect expert Jonathan Mayo is with us right now after the Orioles and the other 29 clubs wrapped up the 2021 MLB draft. And Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, First of all, I just love the buzz around this year's draft. And I just feel the event itself is just gaining a lot of momentum and, and traction. Do you feel that from your vantage point over the last few years? Yeah, I mean, I, I think having it on location in a theater, we, we didn't really know what to expect. The, the energy there was was awesome. Um, and frankly, I needed it because I lit- I ran from the Futures game to the draft. I was not a huge fan heading in on, on that schedule, but I, I managed to survive it. And the energy there was, uh, was really exciting. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun, uh, you know, being able to do it in person. And even day two, we did it, you know, from the lobby of a hotel and had a lot of passersby and and onlookers and things like that. And, uh, it felt, uh, it felt kind of normal, you know, especially after the last you know year and change of everything being kind of upside down. So it, it was great. Jonathan, just out of curiosity, what's the level of preparation that you have to do to prepare for the draft, especially when you got to cover 20 rounds and I'm sure, you know, everybody at the very beginning, but especially when you're getting towards the enemy, how much I time just, goes into you preparing for this draft? I just wing it, man. No, um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, you know, Jim Callis and I split up the country. So we, you know, we're kind of responsible for half the country each. Uh, I try to make sure that he has more guys to write up than I do. Um, just that's how I roll. But I, I, you know, so there's never a time where we have to try to talk about someone that we're not familiar with. Now, as we've discovered in day two of the draft, you know, through 10 rounds, we're doing pick by pick. There comes a point where we don't know who the player is. But what we do know are scouts in our areas. So if, say, um, I'm looking at the Orioles draft, I didn't know anything about Donta Williams. Now, I knew about him. You know, he's at University of Arizona. But uh, Arizona is my area. If he were, were like a senior sign and wasn't very well known, I could reach out to scouts in Arizona uh, and ask, tell me about this guy. And you'll see sometimes in our day two draft coverage, like, you know what, we don't know about this guy. We're going to circle back to him, you know, when we hear from scouts. And, uh, and, and so that's how, how we did it. There is a lot of prep because you want to, you, you want to try to know. I mean, we do a top 250. So we're already 250 deep. Now, some of those guys don't get drafted because of signability. They're going to go on to college. Some of them remove their names from the draft. Uh, but that's a pretty good foundation of names, you know, given that the top 10 rounds is, you know, roughly 300 players. Jonathan, before we get into specific players, just your general overview of the Orioles, pretty clear draft philosophy of going college heavy, particularly college hitter heavy. Now, I, I want to say this because I think the general perception is that's what they do. They did take with their second pick a couple of years ago, Gunnar Henderson, who's off to a great start. So it's not like they're just, this is what we do, period. But just your general sense of the Michael Elias draft philosophy right now. Yeah, and hey, they took a pitcher in the sixth, uh, in the fifth round, right? So they didn't take, no, they didn't go no pitchers. <laughs> and they did um, take two high school kids last year in, in uh, uh, Kobe Mayo and Carter Baumler, you know, right. pretty early. I mean, you know, right. And then, you know, that last year was such an anomaly, also. I I, I don't know that, uh, you know, it fits into any one philosophy because it was such a sh- 
much of a shorter draft. You know, what they did last year was, you know, save money with that first pick and then go over slot with some picks later. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, college hitters, uh, you know, are, and I'm not saying this to say that Mike Elias plays everything safe, but they're as sure a bet as they're going to be um, in the draft, knowing that there are no sure things. There have been plenty of, uh, you know, college hitters taken, say, in the first round who never make it and, and you know, guys who go late who do make it. But, um, you know, I think there, you know, since there is some pitching rising to the top uh, of the system and some really good pitching, I, there must have been an identification that, uh, th- you know, that there was a need within the organization and also looking at the draft class, you know, uh, uh, you know, Mike, you know, came from you know, learning when he was with the, the scouting director for the Astros. And sometimes it's, you know, identifying what they see as where they can sort of exploit the market uh, in a particular draft class. You know, this year's draft class was not particularly strong in terms of college bats. Uh, but, uh, you know, the ability to pinpoint, well, then, you know, if this guy is here, then that's who we're going to take. Um, maybe may have worked their favor because other teams may have been looking at other aspects of the draft, thinking that there were not that many college bats to be had. What do you like the most about Colton Kowser in that Orioles pick? You know, he, yeah, I think if he were at, you know, Vanderbilt or UCLA or, you know, one of the other schools, I don't, I don't know that people would have thought like, Oh, they're you know reaching a little bit uh, for him. I mean, he, he can really hit. Uh, he can really run. Um, you know, there's there's some good power. Uh, he's got a chance to to maybe uh, play up the middle. Uh, he's played mostly right field, but uh, this year he played well. Um, you know, even if he ends up in a corner, I think the the power looks like it's going to be there. It's a it's a really intriguing power speed combination uh, from a guy who you know hits left handed. Uh, you know, he's a good player, you know, and, and I think it's just the fact that he was from Sam Houston uh, that makes you, you know, made some teams, I think, pause uh, and say, well, you know, the, the Southland conference isn't the SEC and things like that, but he's, you know, he's played well against good competition for, for quite some time. You know, he played really well for team USA in international competition, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, he's a good pick and he, you know, he was really good pretty much all year in a year where there weren't that many college bats that, you know, separated themselves outside of Henry Davis. Jonathan Connor Norby, who the Orioles took out of ECU with their second pick in the draft. What's kind of, I think fun for Orioles fans right now is you look at Cowser and Norby. I would think college bats who are this developed have a chance to move pretty quick. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Norby probably more than Kowser even, uh, just because he's got such an advanced and disciplined approach. Uh, you know, it's a short swing. He makes a lot of contact. He, he doesn't strike out a ton. Uh, you know, the, the power started to show up a little bit more this year, so he, he might have a little bit of pop. Um, and he just uh, he plays the game the right way. Like, a, you know, I hate to use the term baseball player you know, or a gamer. Um, but, you know, his instincts are really, really good. Uh, he's probably a second baseman, um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, given you mentioned 
you know, Gunnar Henderson, but they've got Gunnar Henderson and, and Jordan Westberg. Uh, you know, there's only so many guys who can play up the middle, but you know, you always can, you can't have too many of those kinds of players. And uh, you know, maybe one of them moves over to third rather than second. And then there's room for, you know, I don't know, an infield in Baltimore of say, you know, Henderson at uh, short Westberg at third and Norby at second, something like that. Because Norby, I think you're right is the kind of guy who could probably go right to advanced day ball. Um, even maybe as early as this summer, if he, if he is able to get out and get playing. I'll ask you about one of the pitchers that the Orioles took um, Tavera who comes from UTA. Sounds like he's got really good stuff. And Brad Selick, who runs domestic scouting for the Orioles spoke very highly of him on a, on a conference call. Um, what can you tell us about him and maybe what his role could be for the Orioles at some point? Yeah, you're dipping into Jim's area of the country, um, but uh, <laughs> looking looking very quickly, uh, you know, a lot of it is his his feel for pitching um, and his ability to throw strikes with with three pitches. Uh, the fastball is just okay right now, but he's throwing harder now than he was a little while ago. So you, it makes you wonder. Maybe there's a little more in the tank. I mean, he's, you know, he's only six one, so he's not the biggest guy in the world, but uh, you know, he can, he's got an above average breaking ball. He mixes his mixes in a changeup really well. So, you know, maybe a little bit of a limited ceiling, but a guy who you know knows how to set up hitters and, and throws strikes and maybe fits in well. If you're, if you're dreaming about a future rotation and you're thinking about, you know, Grayson Rodriguez and DL hall at the top of it, um, along with some of the other guys, you know, who, who are already in the system, then uh, a guy like Tavera, you know, maybe he's a, you know, a number four type starter when all is said and done. Jonathan, who else jumps out to you that was selected by Baltimore uh, beyond those first few picks? Anyone excite you? You know, I mean, it, it's a lot, a lot of college guys. Um, you know, you know, a guy who I like sort of under the radar is Ryan Higgins, their ninth rounder. Hmm. Um he was a guy because mostly because an area scout I know in Northern California, like loved him and was surprised that more people weren't on him because he, uh, he had a huge year with the bat. And again, as we were saying earlier, you know, college bats usually get taken, especially if they are uh, performers. Uh, he can, you know, he can really hit, he's got a ton of raw power and he kind of loosened up. He was a little too tightly wound uh previously he's become more flexible he was getting to the power this year um so maybe he has a chance to hit for average and power i think the only question is where he ends up playing defensively he played third and left field um struggled at times at both but started to get better at both as the as the spring wore on but you know uh, someone told me a long time ago that you know if you hit you find your way into a lineup and it's an american league team like i'm, I'm not going to say he's a dh but I think you, you give him the opportunity to, you know, maybe put him out in left field and, and let the bat play his way up, uh, you know, up the minor league system. But he's a kind of an under-the-radar bat that you should keep an eye on. In terms of the overall system and, and where it is right now, I mean, it seems like the Orioles are at the very top. And with the ads that they make from this draft, especially in the, the first couple of rounds, do you think that the Orioles, this is going to maybe elevate them a little bit more? And it's tough because they haven't played in any games yet professionally, but do you think they might be elevated a little bit more? Do you think they're going to stay roughly where they are? I mean, how would you say that this draft maybe impacts where the Orioles' overall standing is on the, the prospect front? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking to see where we had them in our preseason rankings. They were fifth um, among the farm systems behind the Marlins, the Mariners, the Tigers, and the Rays. I don't know that this draft would push them ahead of any of those teams. Now, we've not looked into uh, any of this, keeping in mind that especially, you know, the, uh, the Tigers picked high. Uh, the Marlins had a really good first day in the draft. So my guess is they'll probably be in and around the, the same spot. Um, the, the thing that is interesting with the Orioles is that, yes, they have all the sort of high-end elite-level prospects, you know, the Adley Rushmans and Grayson Rodriguez's of the world, but they're so much deeper than it used to be. It wasn't that long ago that doing a top 30 for the Orioles was, you know, somewhat of a painful exercise because it was hard to find 30 guys and, this year, you know, Joe Trezza d- did our top 30 and, you know, and I kind of worked in concert with him and there are, there were interesting guys not making the list. And that's always a good sign that a system is on the move because it's not just having about having a bunch of guys who are on, on a top 100 list. That certainly is a good thing, but it's, it's really about having guys who are in your, like, say, 20 to 21 to 30 range who, when you you know, look at reports on them or watch them, you think these guys might be big leaders. They, they're not necessarily going to be stars, but you know, you need 25 or 26 guys on, on, on your big league roster. Not everyone is going to be an all-star. And if you want to win, you need that kind of depth and you need uh, a lot of talent uh, because that sort of stokes competition within the minor leagues to, to be able to climb to the next ladder. Yeah, if you look at the 19 draft right now for the Orioles, as we record this, Adley Rutschman hit two homers last night and had seven RBIs, a homer from both sides of the plate. Gunnar Henderson's had a really great year, although struggling a little bit right now after his recent promotion. And then Kyle Stowers, the outfielder from Stanford, he, I mean, he might be the best hitter in that Bay, Bowie Bay Sox lineup, and that includes Rutschman right now. So, All right, slow down. He's not a better hitter. <laughs> he's not a better I hitter. I say he's a better hitter. Come I say on. he's a better you know, last month right now. Right, right now he's hitting better. Okay, oh, fair enough. I, just, I, got, I, got a, I got a little worried. Not a better prospect than Natalie, of course, but he's having a great season. Uh, and they, these are guys who didn't play last year, so it's nice to see them producing. But uh, I, I think, yeah, I, I, it's the depth, I think, is different from 10 to 30 in the system that was so lacking for so many years. No, I think I think that's it, uh, exactly. And, you know, Stowers is, is, is an interesting guy, you know, Guys coming out of Stanford, it's been a mixed bag in terms of them being able to make the transition to the pro game. And, the, the, you know, the raw power is, is showing up for him. Um, you know, as long as he keeps walking and, you know, the strikeouts are always going to be there. But I like, I don't, I almost want to stop talking about that because it seems that everyone is striking out everywhere. Um, you know, it only becomes an issue if the strikeouts, lead to not making enough contact to get to the power, which is really his, his best tool, you know, especially as, as an offensive player, you know, and you know, the, you're right in terms of their system. I'm just calling up their top 30 um, because, you know, it, when it's hard to figure out like, Oh, I really like this guy. I want to move him up. You know, um, a guy like Kyle Bradish comes to mind as I'm just looking at their list. who's number 12 and they, you know, they got him, the trade and he was better than they were expecting. So we keep sort of like moving him up. And Kyle Stowers is 22 on that list. A couple of years ago, Kyle Stowers probably would have been a top 10 prospect. Right. And it's 
in, in this, in this organization. No question. That speaks to where they've come. Now, the order that we have right now is a little bit dated because we did a preseason and we'll do a re-rank uh, after the trade deadline and after the draft signing deadline, which is August 1st. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if you'll see Kyle Stowers up closer to, uh, to that top 10. Um, but, you know, as we entered the season with that great unknown, as you said, I, it's been a fascinating thing to watch across baseball is what did players do with that quote unquote downtime. And it seems that most of them worked really hard. I've been actually pleasantly surprised that more players have taken large steps forward after the year off, as opposed to, uh, you know, as opposed to losing a step or, or falling behind. Is there maybe anybody in the Orioles system that, that might be on that list? And, and Brett just mentioned Stowers, but like anybody else that, that kind of excites you that maybe, you know, I think everybody pays attention to, to D.L. Hall and Grace Rodriguez and Adley Rutschman, and, and you kind of understand what those guys are and what there is expected of them. But is there anybody else in that, on that list of yours that jumps out to you and maybe you should give Orioles fans something to be excited about? You want like not in the top 10 or? <laughs> I mean, it, it, could, it, could, it could be like, 20 to 30 it could be kind of anywhere in that range because i'm 15. a team so I'll, I'll pick someone deep down i will say that i am a huge Terran vavra fan mm. um i don't know what he's going to be but i really like him i i think the, the you know the the biggest thing and it's the biggest change is the fact that uh there are some guys who uh were just signed um from latin america right and when, <laughs> it's been a really long time since we've been able to talk about any, you know, any prospects from there in the Orioles system, because for years it was basically ignored. So Samuel Basado, who's 24, uh, number 24 on the list, he's actually only 16. He's playing in the DSL. Uh, you know, uh, Daryl Hones, who was actually a, a draftee, he's an A ball. He's 27, so he's 19. Luis Gonzalez. Um, was a guy that they signed in July 2019, um, you know, who they signed for $475,000. Luis Ortiz, the lefty, is 18. Like, to have high upside teenage guys from Latin America um, on this list is something new. Uh, we, you know, haven't been able to do that for, for quite some. Michael Hernandez is actually the, the highest-ranked guy uh, who just signed – in January, he's playing in the in the DSL. They're like he's just they're just getting going again. He's 17, so there's this whole crop of guys who are like, you know, we, we may not hear from them for another four years, five years, but it's exciting to think that you know next year these guys will probably come to the United States, even if they're playing in um, what's now called the Florida Complex League, the old GCL. I'm still getting used to calling it that. Uh, you know, it is, it's going to be fun to, to watch, to see how those guys develop. But I know that folks in player development in the Orioles system and their, you know, and their international scouting are really excited, uh, about those players that they've been able to bring in. Two more quick ones for me, Jonathan. One, when's the next top 100 coming out? Because I'm already excited. Uh, that'll be, you know, probably we haven't set a firm date, but it'll be after that, that draft deadline. So probably mid August. Uh, because everything got the draft was so much later, normally we would have done it before the trade deadline. So things were a little refreshed when guys were getting traded, but there just was not an opportunity to do that. So it'll probably be 
somewhere in the August 9th to 15th ish range. W- would you expect Colton Kowser to be in your top 100? I haven't the slightest idea. We haven't started to look at, uh, at that yet. Um, probably. And last one for me, Jeff may have another. Do you want to take a stab at next year's number one overall in 22? Overall draft pick, you mean? Yeah. I mean, I could go easy and, and pick a lot. fans are interested in this, by the way. You might, you must understand. Oh, sure. But I, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I think the Arizona Diamondbacks are going to beat, beat the Orioles. I don't know what the right, you know, lose to yeah, whatever it is. Want to give us a couple of names that we can try? Uh, sure. I mean, I mean, the name that comes up the most is Elijah Green, uh, who is uh, an incredibly talented and toolsy high school outfielder. He's at IMG Academy in Florida. Um, he's not, you know, and he does everything very, very well. We, we did this high school, uh, all American game that was in Denver. He didn't even do that much in the game, but he had two ground outs where his sprint speed was over 32 feet per second. And then for people who like, don't follow the sort of analytics on that 30 is considered elite major league speed. Yeah. And he was at 32 and change twice. And that was just running out of ground out. And he does it. It's like effortless. Uh, the swing is really nice. There's some swing and miss. That's the one thing that like, so he's been talked about. A lot of people said, oh, he would have been the number one pick in this year's draft. There was some talk of him reclassifying. Maybe that's true, but I did hear from some scouts that there is a little concern about swing and miss. So I think we're going to have to see how he does the rest of this summer against good competition. He played really well at uh, PG National just recently. He's the guy that uh, that comes to mind the most. Let me throw a couple of extra um, extra names. I actually just did a, like a way too early look at uh, the, the top twenty. So um, Dylan Lesko is a high school right hander from Georgia. Now a high school right hander has never gone number one overall, so that would be something. Uh, but you know, he's 95, 96 consistently. He's got a plus changeup. He's got good breaking stuff. He throws strikes. Um, it's like a really exciting combination uh, of things. Jackson Ferris is a really good high school lefty, um, projectable, uh, six foot four, mid nineties, you know, good breaking ball, good changeup, and then will add strength as he, as he adds uh, weight to his six foot four frame. So th- those are a couple of top guys. My favorite guy so far, far has, and listen, I got one real look at them during this high school. And it was Tamar Johnson, who if people are going to look him up and be like, well, he doesn't look like the kind of guy you would take number one. He's five foot 10 and maybe he's a second baseman, but he's probably the best hitter in this class and certainly the best high school hitter, just pure uh, high school hitter. And he was in the high school home run derby and he didn't advance to the final, but he hit like 24 in the, in the, like the preliminary round, like his lower half is so strong. He runs well. Um, the only thing that holds him back is you're not sure where he's going to play, but man, he, he's a left-handed hitter. He can really, really hit. I mean, he was turning on balls and hitting them into the second and third deck in course field. And then during the high school American game was flipping the ball the other way for base hits. So uh, he's, uh, I like guys who can hit. And uh, I don't know that he's a number one overall pick, but he's pretty good. See, Jonathan, I knew you'd be prepared for that outlandish question. You're always prepared. Well, I luck- luckily, I just wrote that story. Otherwise, I was like, I- and had seen these high school guys. So I could, I-, I should give you one college bat. There are a couple of college. You know who else is in this draft? That's Andrew Jones's son, if you want wow. to feel old. Wow. Um, Where's he playing? Uh, he's a high schooler in Georgia. 
Oh, wow. Um, it's it's kind of nuts at this high school All-American game. I'm uh, digressing very slightly. He's not a top prospect, but CC Sabathia's kid played in this game. And I was thinking about that. I've been doing this long enough that I covered oh. CC Sabathia in the Futures game. Oh, the Futures game. So old, I'm old. Um, so there's that. Let me give me a, a couple of college bastards. Jace Young, his older brother, Josh, was the, the Rangers first round pick. He's from Texas Tech. And then Jacob Berry, who was at University of Arizona, had 17 homers last year. He just transferred to LSU because the Arizona coach just switched to be right. the LSU coach. So a couple of college bats, especially Orioles fans, right? If Michael Elias is going to go after college hitters, you need to know who the top college hitters are. Absolutely. No question about it. Jonathan Mayo from MLBpipeline.com and MLB Network. Always a pleasure. Uh, get some rest, Jonathan. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Get all the best Orioles ticket deals in one place, including single-game tickets, ticket packs, special offers, and more. We got you covered at the Orioles Ticket Marketplace. This is your place to score exclusive deals, so check back often for the latest opportunities. Don't wait to purchase last minute at the box office. Ticket prices are the same at orioles.com slash tickets to purchase. All right, as we roll along in our post-draft edition of Inside the Yard, our friend and colleague Steve Molesky from MassInSports.com. You can also catch him after Orioles games on the flagship station, 105.7 The Fan, for his show, Extra Innings. And, Steve, the dust has now settled on the draft. The Orioles signed 20 of their 21 picks as of now. They basically use their entire allotment, and that doesn't even include the free agent post-draft signings they've had, which they've had several. Uh, what's your broad view of what they've done uh, over the last few weeks? Well, I mean, obviously, it's very heavy college. 20 of 21 <laughs> makes that pretty obvious. Um, and it was very heavy hitter uh, early. We know that with Kowser and Norby at the top. Uh, and they got just one pitcher in the top 10 rounds. And then they got a slew of pitchers starting with round 11 on. And so this was similar in some respects to 2019, where most of the pitchers that were drafted came a little later. And so will this be the game, you know, Mike Elias, will this be his game plan now? Every draft, will they say he's going to draft a lot of college hitters early, pitchers later? That'll be the book on him. But, you know, GMs can change the book year to year. As I've talked to many scouting directors over the year, guys, they said you play to the draft. If the draft is heavy one year in college and high school outfielders, you probably might get one along the way. You know, so you kind of go year to year with how the draft looks as to what you do when you pick. And as we know, you almost never pick for major league need because by the time these players get to Baltimore, the roster might look completely different than it does today. So uh, those are some general thoughts there. What did you make of uh, Colton Kowser, the Orioles first round pick out of Sam Houston? Yeah, he's very impressive when he came to Baltimore, Jeff. I know you guys got a chance to talk to him as well. And one thing I like to see with a high draft pick is a well-rounded talent. Sometimes you, the player's taken high because he throws 98 or because he could hit 40 home runs. But I like to see a guy who can beat you multiple ways. And Kowser looks to be that guy. I mean, his hit tool is rated a little ahead of his power right now, and he did it 16 home runs. He can really run. 60-grade runner, uh, 55 arms. So, I mean, he is, as they say, tooled up. He's kind of like a five-tool guy. There's no weak link in the tools. He's not a slow runner, but he's got other – the other tools are good. The, the, across the board, it's good, and several are plus. 
And also, as I talked to a few scouts about him that watched him, you know, with the Orioles, they really like the lack of swing of swing and miss in his game. Not only does he get good pitches to hit, which is what the Orioles are teaching right now in their minors, but he just doesn't swing and miss very often. And so you put the ball in play, something good can happen. So it's a real nice combination of more walks than strikeouts and not a lot of swing and miss at all in his game and tools throughout the board. So uh, they're excited about him and looking forward to getting him going. When you look at the minor leagues right now, uh, and we talked about this with Jonathan Mayo, obviously all eyes on Adley Rutschman. Uh, at this point, Steve, when do you expect him to get that AAA promotion? I mean, we've got to be getting close to that, I think. It doesn't sound imminent, but we could be surprised. I mean, imminent, you know, who knows what it does imminent mean the next week or two or – I mean, there's about 50 games or so to go in the minor league season. So, I mean, maybe at some point they get him the last month there. Um, and as, as I said to one member of the Orioles front office, would you is one reason to keep him in Bowie because they have this, this plethora of starting rotation candidates. They piggyback so much. I mean, it seems like some nights he's catching two guys who might be in a future Oriole rotation. And this – gentleman said well not necessarily because we got some good arms we like at AAA so really that's not the reason um, although Bowie's having a better year than Norfolk and he's really been thriving there and after a small lull for I guess a couple of weeks he had that two homer game so I don't I don't think it's imminent but I think it's definitely going to happen before the year is out. Mike Ballow is somebody that a lot of people figure was going to come up to the Orioles at some point this year. Steve, what's the, the latest update on Bauman and how he's been pitching? He's thrown well, Jeff, and I saw him in person one outing recently, and he feels good about his game. You know, he's kind of turned the corner in the last month. Uh, the injury problems, knock on wood, are completely behind him now. Uh, he's, the velocity is there. You know, I think the coaches of Bowie were saying, you know, he just needs to get, you know, the touch and feel back for everything. He's got that big slider, as we know. So I think Bauman's on the right path. Um, you know, that's the good news because pitchers get hurt. He got hurt, but luckily it, it, it was a setback, but it wasn't a major setback, and it's good to see him throwing well. I mean, this guy, you know, he could be a future rotation guy. He could be a future back-end bullpen guy with a fastball slider combo. There's a lot of ways they could go with Big Mike. The Dylan Bundy trade is looking more and more interesting, Steve. You have Kyle Bradish already in AAA. There's a chance you might see him this year in the big leagues, but I think you'll get a long look next spring no matter what. And then you have Kyle uh, Bronovich, who's pitching really well, has already earned one promotion this year. We've seen Isaac Madsen in the big leagues as well. And even there's another young kid who's, who's throwing really well, and that was a, a, a four-for-one where, at least at this point, you have four pretty intriguing prospects, all pitchers. When I looked up a stat the other day, I wanted to look at the stat K percentage. A lot of times we look up K per nine, and that's an impressive stat. Wow, 13.2. K percentage might even be better because it's simply the percentage of batters you face that you strike out. And it won't shock anybody to learn that Grayson Rodriguez is tops among the Orioles at 40. But I also found three of the four players – and, and, and Matson wasn't in there because I did 40 innings. So he would, I would have eliminated him probably as a minimum. I just wanted to look at starters. But the three pitchers they got in the Bundy trade all score high in strikeouts. I mean, it's kind of clear looking now 
to see that the Orioles thought all three of those kids had some, had uh, strikeout stuff. Radish, Bronovich, and Zach Peak is the other, and he just moved from Delmarva to Aberdeen. So he's quietly having a good year. So I think all three of these kids are doing well. Bronovich, of the three, has the most striking stats, you know, and he only throws 91-92. But the, but the book is his, his fastball command is just exceptional. He puts the ball where he wants often. He misses the middle of the plate. Uh, his breaking ball is really good. So, I mean, he's had a really, really good year. He's not on anybody's top 30 list. I mean, that's exciting when you hear about this pitcher is putting up numbers to rival many in the organization, and he's not considered, you know, one of the top prospects. And that's probably 91, 92. You know, if he was 95, he might be number 10. So that shows you velocity uh, factors into things like rankings. But that's not keeping him from putting up great statistics. Steve, the Delmarva Shorebirds, they started off on fire, and then a lot of their players ended up getting promoted, but they're still playing really well down on the farm. So how have they gone about putting up good numbers when some of those early season stars have departed? It's been a pretty good season for Delmarva, and I talked recently to Dave Anderson, their manager, about that. And, uh, you know, they started out, Jeff, with a prolific offense, scoring seven and a half runs a game for a month. I mean, it wasn't they had a good series. <laughs> they, they, they looked like a slow-pitch softball team for a month when they had Gunner and Westberg and J.D. Mundy. And then the middle of their order moves on. You just take, you know, you take the middle of the order from a team scoring seven runs a game and promote them, which is what you're supposed to do, right? I mean, that's what Dave Anderson said. That's our job. So when those players moved on, we were excited. We were able to help that process. And then they went, kind of went through a lull because they weren't going to be able to score that many. But then they got some guys, uh, an outfielder named Christopher Suspedes has chipped in with some hits. And T.T. Bowens has 12 homers in 46 games. I was looking that up the other day, and I'm like, man, I see guys with 12 homers on the farm, but it's like in 60 games. This guy's done it in 46. And you were talking, Brad, about guys signed after the draft. He was one of them last year. T.T. Bowens was signed after the, the five-round draft out of Central Connecticut. And so I don't think anybody's pushing, you know, hyping these guys as, as top, top prospects, but give them credit for the production they're, they're producing. And so while Delmarva's had a couple weeks of more losses than wins, they're still about 10, 11 games over and still contending for the playoffs. And oh, by the way, within the next few weeks, they'll get an infusion of draft picks. So it seems like there's three or four different teams on the Eastern Shore this year and get ready for another one because the draft picks are going to arrive. It's like a line change in hockey. Uh, yes. I want to end with this prospect who's totally under the radar, I think, for Orioles fans because he was pre-Michael Elias era. Uh, he had some injuries, but he's having a great year. He's earned a triple-A promotion. That's Robert Newstrom, who was a 2018 draft pick, and he's already gotten a triple-A, and he's hitting. He hit inside the park home run the other day. He's hit some prolific bombs, so all of the uh, stat uh, lovers will love the exit velo and the distance on some of these, Steve, but I mean, he's already in AAA. I, I have to think we're going to see a lot of him in spring training next year. Yeah. I mean, one thing I thought about not having a 2020 season is we would see some players come back and they would be very different. They would have used that time incredibly well, even while not getting in games where we could track how they were doing. And I thought we would see some names pop up uh, because they just did a great job with the season that wasn't there, you know? 
And maybe Newstrom is one of those guys. And when I asked Buck Britton about him and Billy recently, he said, you know, early on, he was hitting too many balls on the ground. And he's a big, strong guy. We want him to get the ball in the air. And they made some swing adjustments. And he started hitting the ball in the air more. And then the production came. And he just really got rolling. And, you know, he was an RBI machine at Bowie. You know, Britton said if they needed a runner home from third with less than two outs, he got him in. If they needed a ground ball to short to score him, he got him in. I mean, the guy goes up to the plate and he craves that RBI, you know, and that's a great trait to have. You know, he makes sure he gets the runs in when he gets a chance. And so he looks like he went up to Norfolk and so far so good, picked up where he left off. That's exciting to see. And, you know, in an Oriole organization that we thought was crowded with outfielders and is, add him to the list. You know, there's other guys like Zach Jarrett is putting up numbers at AAA. So I think there are some players who we don't talk about a lot or get the pub that some others do that are quietly, you know, just really doing a great job in Newstrom would probably be at the top of that list. All right, Steve, we really appreciate it. Steve Molesky from MassInSports.com. We'll catch up soon. You got it. Birdland, the bird is back and ready to make a special appearance at your next event. Add some Orioles magic to your birthday celebration, wedding, or corporate party by booking the bird today. Proceeds benefit the Orioles Charitable Foundation. Book your bird appearance today at Orioles.com slash bird. Well, really enlightening stuff from Jonathan Mayo and Steve Molesky. And it's going to be an interesting week, Jeff. I don't know if you know this, but I think we have like nine consecutive, ten consecutive radio broadcasts together. So get ready for a lot of Brett Hollander in your life. Plus, oh, man. This weekend, we're up against the trade deadline. So uh, that always makes it interesting, I know, for the fans. And I actually think baseball is – what baseball has with the trade deadline is as exciting as any sort of, you know, roster discussion you get in professional sports. There are big trades in other sports, but not the frenzy you get this time of year in baseball. The rumor mill is churning. Your, your team, are you in? Are you out? Who is available? Who is not available? What do you get back? And – in real time, from a broadcasting perspective, rosters can turn over quite quickly. So uh, we'll see how it goes for the Orioles. I don't know if there's going to be a lot of movement or not, but around baseball, it looks like there will be. You know, and especially in the relief pitcher market, I mean, that's where you see teams that are contending really want to add people. And there are you know, lots of big names out there. You know, as we take this, Craig Kimbrell hasn't been dealt yet, but he's been the best relief pitcher in baseball uh, at this point of the season. And, you know, maybe one team is going to, find a way to upgrade with him but then you got lots of other really talented relief pitchers that clubs are going to try and you know add to their bullpen and you know you got to have a good bench you got to have a good bullpen if you want to do some damage in the postseason and so um, I would be especially looking at at that section of the Orioles roster to to see if, if anything happens along those lines because my guess is if something does occur um, with somebody leaving, then it's probably going to be from the from the bullpen, just because when you look at what teams have been looking at at the deadline um, in years past, um, it has been bullpen help. No question about it. So that's one of the big storylines of the year. Also, amazingly, Jeff, we're approaching game number 100 on the season for the Orioles, and we just crossed the anniversary of starting a season one year ago, which I think is really fascinating when you look how far we've all come uh, as a society and certainly our sport. Uh, getting through last season and last year, those 60 games for whatever reason felt 
a lot longer than that, at least from my vantage point. I can't speak for you, but uh, this year it's amazing. We, you know, there was so much discussion. Will they start on time? Uh, will they not? Spring training? How's it going to go? And here we are, game number 100 as we head towards August. I felt like it was fitting that the biggest crowd of the season is coming out on Saturday when you have over 30,000 folks there, which was great to hear the ballpark alive. Um, when you looked at it and just a year ago, uh, we were doing the, the first Orioles game of the year in an empty Fenway park. Um, yep. And it was, it was really strange, you know, to, to go through all that and, and see kind of how that season went down. And I agree with you. I felt like it was a 60 game season that felt more like the length of an entire season jammed into, in a, two months um, just because it was a weird year, a lot of restrictions, protocols, all kinds of different stuff going on that just made it feel very inorganic. And, and yeah. so I've, I've, I, I'm really happy that obviously we all are, that they were in this spot right now, but um, just to, like you pointed out, consider how far we've come um, and how we're starting to get back to normal and, and nights like Saturday where you get Jim Palmer bobblehead day and when you get all those people at the park and you get a big win against the nationals. And then again, on Sunday where you finish the three game sweep of the nationals. I mean, that's what we were all hoping for when we, we took these jobs and I'm, I'm glad to glad to know that we're getting back to that point. A thing of beauty, a lot of smiles around Oriole park at Camden yards all weekend long. Just the energy, even leaving the ballpark was so palpable. Largest mass gathering in Baltimore uh, since uh, December of 2019 for a home football game. So it's been a while, but it felt electric, and it was so much fun. So hopefully more of that to come uh, for the Orioles this year and beyond. But that does it for this edition of Inside the Yard. Coming up next week, we cannot wait for this, our friend, our colleague, and someone who's on his way to the Orioles Hall of Fame and one of the all-time great broadcasters in the history of our game, Joe Angel, will join us uh, days before he goes into the Orioles Hall of Fame. So we'll preview that. We'll talk to Joe and that's next week on Inside the Yard. For Jeff Arnold, I'm Brett Hollander. Thanks for being with us. Enjoy the baseball, everyone.